This is A New Angle, a show about cool people doing awesome things in and around Montana. I'm your host, Justin Angle. This show is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. Hey folks, welcome back and thanks for tuning in. Today's guest is Sally Mock, Senior News Analyst and News Director Emerita at Montana Public Radio. The other change has been uh, the lack of access that reporters have to newsmakers. And that, to me, is the biggest worry I have about the future of journalism nationally and in Montana especially. Sally has covered Montana politics and other topics for over 30 years and is the host of MTPR's Capital Talk. Sally, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. So tell us, where did you grow up and what did your parents do? Well, I'm a flatlander. I grew up in Douglas, Kansas, two S's, a small town in south central Kansas. And my father worked for Boeing, who had a factory in uh, Wichita, and he would commute 60 miles round trip every day to go to work. And my mother was a homemaker, raised my brother and I, and kept the home fires Okay. And for college, you decided to stay close to home, University of Kansas? University of Kansas, yeah, which actually seemed far away if you (laughs) grew up in a small town in Kansas and went to a big university. What was your path into journalism? When I graduated from college, I wanted to be a diplomat, actually. And so I took the foreign service exam, a written Mm -hmm. exam, and passed that. And then I had an oral exam in Kansas City and... uh, sat before a panel of retired male diplomats. Okay. First question they asked me was, what's your favorite recipe? Oh, gosh. (laughs) Wow. So this was 1970. Yep. And I think at the time, they thought if you were a woman who wanted to go into the Foreign Service, you would be a hostess. Mm. And I thought I would go into the Foreign Service and negotiate treaties. (laughs) Actually do some real work. Yeah, Yeah, right. So that was the end of my career in Foreign Service. So when I graduated, I didn't know quite what to do, went to graduate school for a year and got tired of school and uh, moved to Kansas City and got a job for a stock brokerage okay. yeah. <laughs> doing clerical work, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was kind of a ghetto for female liberal arts graduates. There were a lot of women there with uh, degrees and advanced degrees and uh, doing, you know, basically sitting in front of a computer and moving money around. Right, wallowing away and minutiae of the the capital markets. Right, right. Really, the only job I've ever really not liked. Mm. Um, And after doing that for three years, some friends and I decided we wanted to move to the mountains somewhere. Yep. So we started uh, on a vacation. We went out west and went as far as Washington and then drove through Montana and fell in love. Sure. Uh, and so we uh, put a down payment on 10 acres of land in northwest Montana, went back to Kansas City, worked for a year so we could pay off the land, and then moved out here. Okay. So, and uh, kind of did a back-to-the-land thing. Sure. And, yeah. and at one point you were, were a wilderness ranger, right? And that's when I got a job with the Forest Service. Okay. And uh, at that time, the Forest Service was actively recruiting women sure. to work in the field because that was still a pretty rare thing. And yeah. I was the first wilderness ranger on that ranger district who was female. And, and I'm sure nobody asked you about recipes in that job. They did not. And uh, they should have asked me the difference between a pine and a fir because I did not know. Right. <laughs> it was very much on-the-job training. And uh, I had a lot of mentors in the Forest Service who really got me up to snuff. And mm-hmm. that was a wonderful, wonderful job. But after doing that for five years, and my friends and I, we built a log house ourselves oh. and did all that, um, the 
news director of Montana Public Radio at that time invited me to be on a show that she did, okay. uh, kind of like your show, where mm-hmm. she interviewed people about current topics, and uh, and she wanted me to be on the show uh, to talk about mining in the wilderness, uh, right. which was an issue in the in the forest I worked on. And uh, so I was on her show, and at the same time, the funding for the wilderness ranger position had been cut. Oh. So after the show, she said, you know, you sounded really good. Are you interested in being on in radio? And mm-hmm. uh, I said, sure. <laughs> and uh, w- probably wouldn't have said that if the funding for my other job had, had been renewed. Right, but uh, right. it was kind of right place, right time. And Very good. So I started uh, at Montana Public Radio in 1980. Didn't know anything about radio either, mm-hmm. and uh, the only journalism I'd done, I'd written a 5,000-word article for a magazine called Wild America okay. uh, about the wilderness and mining and so on, uh, but that was it. So again, it was on-the-job training. On-the-job sure. training, curious disposition. Yeah, and always interested kind of in uh, current events and politics and that kind of thing. So Yeah, yeah. what would you yeah. describe as kind of your entry point into focusing on politics? You know, I think the assassination assassinations that I'd lived through as a yeah. as a teenager, you know, JFK and Martin Luther King and RFK and uh, seemed like such an and Vietnam War was always in the news and it was such a a tumultuous time in American yeah. history and in my formative years, you know, my high school and college years and mm-hmm. so on. So that got me interested in the world outside of uh, Douglas, Kansas for sure. For sure. Yeah. We're living through what, what some might call a tumultuous time. Um, <laughs> I would call it that. Certainly yeah. we've seen you know things in our democracy and in our discourse that uh, we haven't seen in a long time, if ever. Um, how would you describe this, this sort of broader moment that we're living through in, in, in politics, particularly here in Montana? It's hard to come up with one phrase sure. for it, I think, but I think it is a, a turning point time in Montana and American history, mm-hmm. for sure. And which way it's going to turn, I can't, I can't possibly know. Uh, but it does feel like we're at a tipping point in on many different fronts. Yeah, well, what yeah. are the things that make you feel as if we're at that tipping point? The passion that yeah. is out there uh, in the discourse and in uh, interpersonal uh, experiences that people are having. Uh, I think people are uh, approaching things with a, a sort of intensity that we that I haven't experienced since the 60s, mm. which I thought was a very intense time for yeah. sure. And I think we're at that point again. And I think the 60s was a turning point for sure on many fronts, mostly in a positive way, I would say. So hopefully <laughs> this turning point will, will also be that as well. But it's hard to know. Yeah, it seems yeah. Where, where politics has become identity in many ways. It's it's less about necessarily what policy position you have and more about what, what team you're on and whatever policy position that team adopts becomes becomes yours as a matter of just team affiliation. And your coverage of Montana and the legislature, I mean that that kind of that notion kind of runs counter to Montana's reputation over the years. But now we're seeing that sort of nationalization and team orientation kind of taking a more solid hold in Montana. Does that jive with your your experience covering the legislature? It does. I mean, when I first covered the legislature, which was in uh, the 80s, mm-hmm. there were definitely, you know, divisions and there were animosities. I mean, it, you know, we tend to glorify the past sometimes yeah. and, and make it something it wasn't. But that said, it also was a time where 
people had empathy and respect for each other, no matter what the policy differences were. And that was evident in the Montana legislature. The party affiliation meant something. It meant something in terms of policy. Mm-hmm. And uh, the disagreements could be very heated, and, and people could have hard feelings in the wake of those differences. But there was never a sense that I got covering it as a journalist that, that people saw the other person as evil. Right. And I think I think that's the difference now. I think if you don't uh, see eye to eye on something, or if there are vast policy differences, the other person is not seen as someone that you have empathy for, mm-hmm. respect for, necessarily. And I think that that's a I think that's a very detrimental thing, <laughs> both to making policy and to governing. Yeah. yeah, I wonder where that comes from. I mean, does it come from? We certainly have examples of our leaders sort of declining in the civility of just the the way they conduct themselves in in public. But I wonder, like, which side of the coin does it come from? Are voters and citizens following the example of their leaders or are leaders reflecting the tone and the standards of of their voters? I tend to think that politicians especially follow more than they lead, Mm -hmm. actually. And I think uh, a lot of what this is coming from is, is fear. Uh, fear of change. Yeah. Uh, Montana has had periods of enormous change, and I think we're going through that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, economic change, for sure. And then the national influence is a big part of it, too. As we know, the Trump era has had a dramatic effect on the discourse in this country. And and uh, and then, of course, the internet and social media and oh, so yeah. on. But there's several factors. I don't think it's just one thing you can point to. It's hard to point to one thing. Yeah, yeah. we've got you know the, the rise of social media, the, the the way our politics is being conducted nationally, and then I think COVID has also played a role. It's yeah. changed a, a lot of the makeup of the state. It's changed people's perception of the makeup of the state. But it also, I mean, lived through this period where people have just been on edge. Yeah. for a long period of time. Yeah, and that, it goes back to the fear that I mentioned, absolutely. I think. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about the 2023 session. It seemed like culture war issues, abortion, transgender rights, religion, topics like that sort of dominated the session, at least the coverage of the session, versus you know, maybe some more of the policy minutia that we've been used to well, over the years. Well, the coverage of the session reflected what happened sure. at the session, and the minutia was covered as well as the as the culture war issues. I think what stands out to me in this session and in, and in recent sessions is the influence of national groups mm-hmm. on legislation that's proposed. I mean, some of the bills you could find in other state legislatures – uh, that were introduced in the Montana legislature, word for word almost. And that's way different than it used to be years ago. I mean, lobbyists have always, you know, influenced bills and drafted bills for legislators, but the lobbyists were more local. And now they can be, you know, based in D.C. or wow. New York or something like that, that 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 are fostering some of the legislation that we see. So I think a big part of it is that national influence. Let's just, let's just draw that out. So there are national organizations that draft legislation and then try to sort of replicate a particular policy across multiple legislatures in the country. Right. Because wow. they want to influence sure. what's happening nationally, of mm-hmm. course. And, and there are you know, local legislators who agree with whatever that national agenda is. And so then they they 
take up the mantle. Ready-made bills to propose. Right, right. And was that happening across a range of issues, or were there typically culture-oriented issues? I think more cultural-oriented, although I can't tell you bill for bill that that's true. Um, One thing, uh, too, I want to point out is a lot of the issues that come before the legislature in 2023 also came before the legislature in 1983, Mm -hmm. abortion. Right. That has been an issue in every legislative session I've ever covered. Um, Environmental issues come up every session. So the difference, I think, in recent years have to do with um, sexuality Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, culture war things. But a lot of the issues are are repeats for sure. For sure. Yeah, let's talk about sexuality in particular, because that was a flashpoint for this year's uh, session. You know, the censure of Zoe Zephyr and and so forth. Made her a national star. Exactly. Just talk about the intensity of that moment and what it was like covering that and, and sort of seeing the all the layers of it unfold, both locally and the ripples nationally. Well, I think, you know, it was uh, it was shocking in yeah. some ways. I think uh, anyone who watched it unfold on the floor or saw video of it or heard the audio, I think it was unexpected and, and shocking. And the reaction uh, as it unfolded over the following days was equally <laughs> shocking, you yeah. know. So from a news standpoint, it was it was something that uh, we had not seen before, actually, and, and uh, the way that a, an individual member of the legislature sort of drove the narrative of what was going on and then the reaction to that. We'll be back to my conversation with Sally Mock after this short break. A New Angle is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and UM's College of Business. Access to capital, broadband, and education are three ingredients any community needs for success. Hey folks, on August 11th, A New Angle and The Right Question are teaming up for our first live event at the Wilma Theater. Justin and I will be helping the legendary David James Duncan launch his new novel, Sunhouse, a book 16 years in the making. Lauren and I will chat with David. David will read, and renowned singer-songwriter Jeffrey Foucault will illustrate Sunhouse in music. Montana Public Radio presents this evening of story, song, and conversation, August 11th at the Wilmot Theater in Missoula. Get your tickets now at logjampresents.com. This is John Twiggs with Montana PBS, and you're listening to A New Angle. Welcome back to A New Angle. I'm speaking with legendary Montana journalist Sally Mock. So as you watch that issue... And sort of the the transgender issue uh, unfold both in Montana and across the country. It, it, it seems like the right and left are each trying to vie for this positioning of being the reasonable position. I think if before the session, if you had polled Montanans about issues they're concerned about, no one would have said transgenderism, right? Because it's not in their it's not in their daily life generally. It's not something they're consciously thinking about. Mm-hmm. And people's attitudes about it are run the gamut from having no information to base their attitude on about transgenderism to people who have a lot of information, know someone who's trans, and, and have no problem with it. I think it really runs the gamut. 
But in terms of priority of an issue, it would not have come up if you asked somebody on the, you know, Joe or Jane Montana prior to the session. So to have it become such a dominant issue in the session yeah. really made no logical sense. And so then you do question why did it become such a big issue? And partly there were there were transgender members of the legislature mm-hmm. who were visible. Yeah. That's part of it for sure. But also it goes with what again is a national agenda to make that a big issue. Yeah. yeah, when it becomes so salient, it not only brings it to the forefront in, in, in the mind of the average citizen, but it, but given how it is entering the discourse, it sort of forces you to adopt a position. And, and when you don't particularly have a strength of opinion or exposure or even you know, haven't done much thinking in this area, the most available position is the one of your team, right? right and and right. you see how intense the attitudes of your team are, and it's it's easy to sort of get drawn into that and adopt that position. Right, right. And, you know, the information then becomes, uh, really, there's no nuance yeah. to the information that's presented. Absolutely. It's It's like the most extreme thing is going to happen if this goes forward. And, you know, and, and so the misinformation just gets multiplied. Right. And yeah. fear. Right. As right. you as you've mentioned, fear is a dominant theme before. It's easy to sort of fear of difference. Roll in, yeah. yeah, fear of difference, fear of change, all those sorts of things are, are used to uh to motivate intensity on both sides in many right. ways. And with that, I mean what we've been kind of not necessarily dancing around, but a, but a, a theme that's kind of we've touched on in this conversation is is the role of the media. And we've over the course of your career in, in media here in Montana, we've seen a decline in local reporting, a decline in the number of journalists uh, on the local beat and the number of different entities operating within the state. Talk about the changes in journalism you've seen and Mm -hmm. and what concerns you. Um, You know, there have been, as you say, a lot of changes that are very worrisome, especially in the print side of media. You know, when I first was reporting in Montana, the Great Falls Tribune was probably the most vibrant newspaper in the state. You would not say that now. And ter- their newsroom has just been gutted. Mm-hmm. And that's true of other entities and uh, Missoulian as well. On the other positive side, there are more reporters covering state politics in Montana now okay. than ever. Yeah. Right? In Helena at the Capitol. But <laughs> the other change has been uh, the lack of access that reporters have to newsmakers. And that, to me, is the biggest worry I have about the future of journalism nationally and in Montana especially, is uh, the lack of transparency of what's going on. You know, you've got all these reporters covering Helena, and on a given day, you may not know if the governor is in Helena or Italy Mm. (laughs) because of the lack of access and transparency and uh, that's a huge worry, I think, for everyone who's covering state politics. And how has that lack of access changed? I mean, what are the what are the sort of barriers that are being erected to to impede access? When I first started covering Montana politics, uh, you had really great access to newsmakers, uh, no matter what their party or uh, their position. I mean, if you wanted to speak to a member Montana, a member of the Montana congressional delegation, you could. Mm-hmm. And if you wanted to speak to the governor, you could in a timely way. You might give, give them a call in the morning and hear back from them in the afternoon. But now, I mean, that's, that's 180 degrees. Now you could call and 
get the press person maybe and then and they would say oh well they're not available and then just mm-hmm. keep putting you off and putting you off and and you don't get the interview ever or a response that's that's has any substance to it and the difference i think is i mean early on in my career uh, we were their only conduit to the public Right now, they have many ways to reach the public in ways that that um, they can totally control. Sure, I mean, yeah, you think of Twitter as a direct line to you know yeah, the, social media for sure, the thinking or the voice of a politician or elected official. But at the same time, yes, that is maybe a direct line of communication. But it is it is exactly what that politician wants to present. Exactly right, and with no scrutiny. And you know, and there are now media outlets that. Uh, aren't journalism. They're just media, Mm -hmm. and they're favorable to a particular point of view, and they can go on that media and reach a pretty wide audience, right, and not be challenged about anything. That's something that I wish the public was more upset about, honestly, because we are still the conduit. Uh, I mean, the public isn't going to be in Helena every day, and they're not going to be at City Hall every day, but reporters are. Along those lines, there is yeah, you mentioned the number of reporters in Helena as, as, a, as a reason for optimism. Another reason for optimism is the rise of some of the nonprofit entities reporting here in Montana, Montana Free Press, the Daily Montanan, and a few others. Talk about the, the role of nonprofit media and how that's um, risen in prominence over the last over the last few years. You know, I'm not the most informed about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, public radio is a nonprofit as well, right. but it's publicly funded and the only concern I would have about the growth of nonprofits is that usually they are begun by someone's individual's philanthropy. Mm-hmm. You know, a wealthy person decides this is something I want to invest in, and they could equally decide not to or to stop. So I wonder about the uh, longevity of that model for yeah. journalism, right? It really depends on the the philanthropy of a wealthy person or persons. And then they hope that they get rolling and get public support. But I, d- I don't know if that's going to be uh, a viable alternative to what has been the past. Another piece we should cover is, um, you know, with the Republicans having a supermajority in this session for the first time since the Montana Constitution was drafted. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. There was some talk before the session of maybe calling for a new constitutional convention, and we didn't really see that effort get off the ground, which I would interpret as encouraging for the endurance of our current system. Do you have any views on that? You know, I think uh, there isn't a public appetite for a constitutional convention at all. And the 72 Constitution is a remarkable document. I think Montanans are pretty happy with it on the whole. You know, I wish we had better polling in Montana because when I say Montana's this or Montana's that, I'm just guessing. Sure, it's hard to know. <laughs> it's hard to know. But there is no big public push to revise the Constitution. There are some factions in the in the state that would love to do start over um, who aren't happy with what was done in 1972. But I think there are uh, enough of a minority that it's not going to happen in the near future. So that was pretty much a non-starter. Like, that, would, that would be my guess, yeah. 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 And finally, you know, earlier this year, you lost a friend and colleague, Chuck Johnson, dean of Montana journalism, as he was affectionately known. Talk about Chuck, your relationship to him and uh, his prominence in, in, in Montana. 
I first met Chuck and when I first covered the legislature in the 80s. And even then, even though he was uh, hadn't been doing journalism all that long, he had covered the 72 Constitution. So he was, at that time, st- uh, already seen as the dean of <laughs> Montana journalism. Yeah. And uh, when I first covered the legislature, I had no idea what I was doing, no idea what the, you know, what the committees did or what happened on the floor. And so someone said, just follow Chuck. <laughs> so... I, like hundreds of other rookie journalists, uh, became his shadow and learned so much from him. And he was always so kind and and available. And and then he became a great friend, too, over the years. And and I got him into radio, got him to, he and Mike Dennison, to do the Capital Talk program with me. And we did that, I think, with Chuck for about 15 years. Wow. And that was that was just so much fun. And uh, and he always had the most unassuming approach to journalism, which I think is, a, a, you know, sometimes unusual. Journalists can have big egos. And Chuck was just someone who, if you asked him a question, most journalists will give you an opinion, myself included, uninformed as it may be. And Chuck would always say, I don't know. Right. If he didn't know, yeah, and uh, I learned that that was a good thing to say if you don't know about That's something. Pretty good advice, yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. great. And as we described a moment ago, with sort of the changes in journalism in Montana, and this is happening in other states as well, it's hard to know if we'll see more people like Chuck, more people like yourself, with mm. you know multiple decade careers covering the politics of a single state. That's another worry I have, actually. And uh, that comes down to economics in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Uh, Organizations need to pay people enough that they can live on what they're making and and stay where they are. And institutional memory is really a huge asset in any occupation, but especially in journalism. Uh, If you're starting from ground zero every time you cover the legislature, that's that's a problem. But if you have decades or even a few years or a few session experience, uh, that's a huge advantage in knowing what's going on and how to report it. So, yeah, it's a big concern, and I wish it was valued more, honestly. And so, Sally, now that you're sort of quasi-retired... Mostly. (laughs) Yeah. How do you make choices about where to allocate your efforts and your time? Mm -hmm. What are your priorities? What, 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 what What are your objectives at this moment? You know, I adore Montana. Yeah. And uh, when I was working full-time as news director, I didn't get to enjoy Montana as much as I always wanted to. Mm -hmm. So one priority right now is to enjoy the state to the fullest. Then I keep a hand in journalism because I still care so much about what happens in Montana. And as long as I feel like uh, I have a little bit to contribute to everyone else, knowing enough that that their passion for the state can be directed in a way that enhances their lives and the lives of everybody in Montana. Sure. I want to keep doing that. So, Very yeah. good. And when you say enjoy Montana, I'm assuming things like getting up to Glacier, like you're in this past, you were this past weekend. And, you know, I've, I've seen uh, an affinity for photographing critters, bears, foxes, other little uh, <laughs> yeah. Friends yeah, in I've, our wilderness. I've had a really good wildlife viewing summers or spring so far, that's for sure. Yeah, I'd love getting out. And I have, uh, you know, I, I mentioned when I first came to Montana, some friends and I built a log house. I still have that. You cat. still have that? I, I do. Okay. Yeah. So okay. up in northwest Montana. So I get up there and get to get out of town and, and live in the, you know, wonderful place that I helped build. 
Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Well, Sally, thanks so much for spending some time with us today and sharing your your, your wisdom and stories uh, accumulated over many years covering Montana More politics. stories than wisdom, I, I think. Well, but Justin, know. it was great fun. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a generous gift from UM alums Michelle and Lauren Hansen. A New Angle is presented by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. With additional support from Consolidated Electrical Distributors, Drum Coffee, and Montana Public Radio. Keely Larson is our producer. Ella Hall is our production assistant. VTO, Jeff Ament, and John Wicks made our music, and Jeff Meese is our master of all things sound. Thanks a lot, and see you next time.